0: This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new, fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is June 20th, and this is the Wednesday healthcare edition of the show. I'm your host, Christine Harges, and I'm joined by healthcare specialist Todd Campbell via Skype. Today is going to be one of those news, news, news shows where we take you through some of the most exciting developments in the healthcare space from the last week or so. First up, Todd's going to take a victory lap for pitching Foundation Medicine, ticker FMI, as his top healthcare stock to buy last October. The stock is up 229% since then, a high water market hit after the announcement on Tuesday of this week that Roche is buying the company, or rather the part of the company that it doesn't already own. So Todd, congratulations on a stellar pick. I hope you had put your money where your mouth was.
1: I did, Christine. I did. So of course, you know, I'm smiling, but for every victory, there's always going to be one that isn't a victory, right? So, you know, you, you got to be humble when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, you know, big news for investors and owners of of this company and potentially for people who are, you know, making bets in personalized medicine. You know, I think that anybody who wants to learn more about foundation medicine and what it may mean to Roche over time could obviously go back to our show from last fall Um Christine, what was that October? It aired on October 18th, if
0: anyone wants to check it out. It was during our pitch week where we had all of the Fool.com writers in Full HQ, which is rare. It only happens once a year. And we asked a bunch of them to pitch a stock from the sectors that they cover, and Todd pitched Foundation.
1: Right, right. So if you want to go back and listen to that show, um, you know, obviously, <laughs> Foundation, there's no real reason to own it, and I'll explain why in a second uh, from here, but there may be a reason to consider... What the impact could be for Roche, so it might be worth going back and just taking a listen, uh, given the fact that um, it will become a part of Roche once the deal closes, and that's expected to happen later this year. The nuts and the bolts, Christine. uh, Investors are getting $137 per share, and that's going to be paid out in cash, not stock. That's a 29% I I guess premium to what it was trading at late last week, and a 68% premium to the 90 day volume weighted average. So it's a pretty healthy premium. It values the amount of the the company that Roche didn't own at about 2.4 billion. And um, if you include what Roche owned, then that would value the company at 5.3 billion. And maybe what's really interesting there for investors just thinking about the space more broadly is that represents a fairly massive um, price to forward sales. (laughs) <laughs> uh or price to sales ratio for for this company. They're obviously estimating that this is going to become a much bigger market over t- over time.
0: Right, and Roche has not been shy previously about paying up to have a stake in this company. They previously had a majority stake acquired back in January of 2015 at $50 a share, which was at the time even twice the price that the stock was trading at on the market. And so now they're uh, taking up the rest of the stake in the company for, as you mentioned, $137, which is another uh, pretty sizable premium to where the market had previously valued this company. So Roche is very interested. And this makes a lot of sense because because what Foundation Medicine does really builds on Roche's prior efforts in personalized medicine. Foundation Medicine's goal is to make comprehensive genomic profiling, or CGP, the standard of care in cancer. So they want to be able to look at solid tumors and actually figure out what the genetic profile of that tumor is and see whether or not there's a more targeted therapy that might be beneficial
1: for that patient. Right. So it's basically taking your, your information, your, your genetic code, taking that information and then matching you up with the most appropriate therapy. And that may be a therapy that's already won approval. Uh, that may be a new therapy that's that's what, making its way through a clinic. Uh, what it does is it simplifies the whole process, both for the patient and for uh, the physician or the oncologist who's coming up with a treatment plan. And what's really interesting about this, this and probably why Roche acted now is that that deal where they took the the 50% plus stake in it previously, they had a standstill agreement. That standstill agreement expired earlier this year, so that freed them to go out and make a bid to gather up the whole company. This all happens at the same time that Foundation Medicine just won approval for a a, a pretty comprehensive screening test, its latest product, which is the Foundation One CDX and they've just achieved um, winning a reimbursement from Medicare for the use of this screening tool in people with advanced cancer. And advanced cancer, you know, they estimate there's about a million people out there who could be tested for this uh, using this screening system. And to put that in perspective, only about 150,000 patients are currently being tested. So there's, there's a pretty large market opportunity here, especially when you consider that, you know, over time, regardless if it's advanced cancer or early stage cancer, this kind of screening could become standard.
0: Yep, absolutely. In the past, drug makers have had to come up with a separate diagnostic tool to be used with the personalized medicines that they're developing. But the cool thing about Foundation One is that it has this vocabulary that you can add to over time. And so the drug makers can team up directly with Foundation Medicine to use this already approved tool in their FDA applications for their personalized therapies. And even the Medicare reimbursement itself, the way that that's structured with the National Coverage Determination or the NCD is such that it can readily expand as more tumor types that need this companion diagnostic tool um, come into play so you can add and expand the use case for uh, Foundation One. So uh, for now, what this means for the company is that uh, Foundation Medicine will operate under Roche as a separate and autonomous unit, which is reminiscent of Roche's strategy with a bunch of different acquisitions. Um, the biggest one that people will recognize is that of Genentech, which was an enormous acquisition. I think it was forty-seven billion dollars, something like that. Yes, forty-seven billion dollar purchase, and it was left largely alone. And so that's. It, it, and actually, the Genentech acquisition followed a similar structure as well, where Roche had a fifty-six percent stake in Genentech before it bought the entire thing. Um, they did a similar acquisition with a company called Flatiron, where they had a small stake and then came back to acquire all of it. So this is very typical of Roche and I, I do trust them to integrate the company appropriately. And I think it's a very exciting development for the field of personalized medicine. If a giant company like Roche is so clearly willing to invest in personalized treatments, that really points towards this being the future of cancer care. We'll be back in just a minute after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Sineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Sineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of the merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they've created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Sineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit SineosHealth.com podcast. It's been a wild week for PTC Therapeutics, ticker PTCT. Let's talk first about why the stock jumped 28% from $27 per share to $47 per share on Monday.
1: Quite a roller coaster ride for this company and its investors this week, right, Christine? Absolutely. So, yeah, the Monday so- news
0: they announced that their uh, SMA, spinal muscular atrophy drug, Rizdiplom, Uh, had some data to be shared from a study called the FIREFISH in all caps. I'm sure it's an acronym, although I couldn't tell you what it stands for. Uh, Released some data from 11 babies that were taking their experimental treatment and it showed a pretty meaningful improvement on a point score that measures neuromuscular disorders, which is what SMA is. And almost all had some improvement, which even though this is a pretty early uh, investigation into the drug and so safety is the primary thing you're looking for the efficacy had people pretty excited.
1: So Roche has been working with um, PTC on this drug since 2011, and we're now starting to get some data that has people excited that there's a potential here for this to to take you know the treatment of SMA. Uh, make it one step better. I mean, be, to, to give people a little bit of an understanding of, of what this disease is. It's 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 rare, but it's life threatening. And essentially, what ends up happening is that patients are unable to produce a particular protein called SM, SMN. S M N. We'll just you know that's easier, so we'll call it S M N. And that's cr- crucial to the survival of motor neurons. And if you're not able to produce that protein over time those neurons, the control muscles within your spinal column, they'll die. And that can cause, you know, the ability, to lo- loss, loss of the ability to walk, uh, failure to be able to eat. Uh, and eventually, you know, it can make it so you can't breathe. There are essentially three types that they break it out into, depending on when you're diagnosed. This is usually diagnosed in infancy. Uh, there's type 1 SMA. That accounts for about 60% of all SMA uh, cases, and that's diagnosed within the first six months typically. This is probably the the toughest one to get a diagnosis in because about 90% of type 1 patients either die or require permanent ventilation by the time they reach age two. It's a devastating disease. Type 2 SMA, that's diagnosed typically between six months and 18 months of age, and that accounts for about 27% of cases. Slightly better prognosis here, but still 30% of type 2 patients succumb to their disease by the time they reach age 25. And then there's type 3, which accounts for about 13% of, of cases, and that has the best prognosis. But still, again, big, big impact, negative quality of life because of the loss of ability of mobility, uh, able to, ability to walk, et cetera. Previously, there really wasn't a whole heck of a lot of treatment options that were available to patients until late 2016, when Spinraza won approval, and you know we've talked the show about that in the past, Christine. That's a drug from Biogen Ionis Pharmaceuticals that really it, it's it's extremely high priced. Uh, it's used to treat a, a small proportion of of people, um, but it's already become a blockbuster drug. And PTC is hoping to improve upon um, this therapy, uh, and and and. It's going to do it a couple ways, right, Christine? Because it's it's oral dosing instead of being injected, which which could be an advantage. And if you look at the trial data that PTC released, it matches up pretty favorably to what you know, we saw in Spinraza's trials.
0: And of course, those weren't head-to-head trials. So it's not exactly fair to say, oh, this drug is definitely more effective. But they were measuring things on the same scale. And it does look like this, uh, this drug from PTC had some strong efficacy and potentially even stronger than what we saw with Spinraza. Going back to the dosing and the convenience factor, I'm not sure where I fall on this one. So you're talking about infants, right? So it's like there's no good option. I mean, so spimerosa is injected into the spine four times a year, which sounds pretty terrible. But is that better or worse than having an infant taking a daily pill? That doesn't sound so good either. So, I mean, it's, it's a devastating disease. So having a multitude of treatments is definitively a good thing. But, I mean, the convenience factor, I I don't think it's it's a clear win for either drug. But what I will say is that both of these are threatened by something going on with Novartis. So, Vardis earlier this year acquired a company called Avexis for $8.7 billion, and it gave it this drug called AVXS-101, which is a now late-stage gene therapy, meaning one-and-done cure for the disease that could be available as early as next year, which is super exciting in general, although quite the threat to both of the other companies working in this space.
1: It's a big time threat, and that's why I think that if you're an investor and you're trying to to digest all of the information that's come out in the last couple of days in this in this indication, you might want to just p- press the pause button and not necessarily rush out and, and buy PTC, assuming that they're just going to be able to grab the billion dollars or so in, in sales away from Spinraza, uh, assuming obviously everything pans out and it wins FDA approval, right? Which is which is far from a guarantee. If this AVX... Uh, S101, which is in phase three trials already, sorry dosing patients, and it's being evaluated in type one, type two, type three, if it puts up the same kind of data that we've seen so far in previous trials and previous studies, then I I have a hard time believing that it's not gonna be the standard. I mean, why wouldn't you do a one and done that has such a high likelihood of changing the game? You know, to put this in perspective, They recently, I think it was in April, updated information from 15 patients. 15 out of 15 of those patients were alive and without the need for permanent ventilation at the 24-month mark. And, you know, historically, only about 8% of patients could make that claim. So this is a a potentially remarkable, revolutionary, game-changing therapy if the phase three trials
0: pan out. Yep, absolutely. So we started this segment by talking about PTC Therapeutics investors enjoying their start to the week after a nice pop. But that celebration was short-lived. And the very next day, Tuesday, PTC fell 31% back to $33 per share after Sarepta announced data for its gene therapy for a different indication called Duchenne muscular dystrophy or DMD.
1: Right, and one of the things we really didn't talk about before when we were talking about PTC was that you know they already have a couple drugs on the market. Both of those drugs, though, are used in DMD. So when Sarepta came out with their interesting news, which we're going to tell you in a minute, and again, this is pretty revolutionary and crazy science too, um, people started to think, oh, well, maybe you know all of the revenue that we're currently getting right now from PTC could disappear in a few years if it moves over to Sarepta because of what Sarepta is being doing now in terms of gene therapy uh, it's it's really um uh, the data that was released at, at Sarepta's uh investor day their research day um from a very limited group of people I'm just going to say that straight out you know there's only 3 people that we got information on um but what they were able to 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 show us was pretty remarkable, especially when you consider, I mean, I don't want to say it's a very low bar for approval, but Duchenne muscular dystrophy, there really are not a lot of good treatment options out there. There really aren't any. There's there's only one, this Translarner, which is approved in Europe, that's the PTC drug. There's Exondis 51, which is the drug that Sarepta already has in the market. But in both of those cases, it only addresses about 10 to 13% of, of, of patients with this Muscle wasting disease. And that's a big problem because most of these patients tend to to succumb to their disease by the time they're in their 30s.
0: Yes. So investors went pretty wild on Tuesday when this news came out. At its peak, the stock was up 68%, but it simmered down to a gain of around 37% for Sarepta by the end of the day. And like you said, Todd, this is pretty early stage. It was a phase one, two, A trial, and it read out only about three patients, but with those three patients, the drug, which I know we say all the time on this show that like, we can't pronounce these names. This one's actually probably the most absurd name I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you an extra bonus if you, if you tell everybody what it is. D- yeah, sure. i yeah, it's, I'm just going to spell it. It's A-A-V-R-H-74, period, M-H-C-K-7, period, micro-hyphen-dystrophin. So I like, you can't even pronounce that. So we're just going to call it the Sarepta drug. Bear with me. Apologies. Um, don't blame me. Blame whoever decided on that. Anyhow, so it significantly increased the level of the missing structural protein in those first three patients that were involved in the study. And they also noted that the same patients all exhibited significantly lower serum creatine kinase levels following the treatment, which is pretty important because that enzyme is very strongly associated with the muscular damage that results from the progression of the disease. So it's early goings. And from here, the study will eventually involve 12 total boys. It still won't have a control. Um... And again, because it's early stage, the the number one thing we're looking for here is safety. But as usual, in early stages, when you see a great amount of efficacy, investors tend to get pretty excited. excited. Um, If all goes extremely well, and by that I I do mean flawlessly, this therapy could hit the market within two years, which is, is pretty amazing. And you can see just by the reaction of the scientists, too, that were working on this, the guy that's leading the project, his name is Jerry Mendel, and he noted if you were me looking under the microscope, you would be so amazed you wouldn't sleep at night, which are pretty strong words. And it's a, it really does show that there's a huge amount of potential for this drug in a disease that is very devastating.
1: Yeah. I mean, he one of the com- his comments was, I've been waiting my entire 49-year career to find a therapy that dramatically reduces CK levels and creates significant levels of dystrophin. And, and here he was able to... to to, to work on this, this drug, we'll call it microdystrophin drug, whatever, um, that, that does that. What's interesting, and, and I think we need to see more data and for durability and all this other, other stuff that, that, you know, goes into figuring out whether or not a drug can win approval. Um, you know, what's interesting about this is remember that dystrophin itself, which isn't produced in these patients, and that's why the muscles waste away, is because you're not producing the dystrophin, is too large to be able to deliver that gene into a patient's body using, you know, the technology that we have today, which are basically viral vectors or, or viruses that are turned off so that they can't infect you, but they can um, be used to, to deliver a new gene into the body. It's too big. So what they had to do is they had to take a look at the dystrophin gene and break it up into little chunks and then, you know, kind of pair up those or glue those chunks together again into a much smaller framework, which gives you the microdystrophin. So the question that I would have then is, okay, well, we are seeing an increase in microdystrophin production. Would that result in the same kind of clinical benefit or clinical outcome as, as dystrophin itself? Maybe, sure, right? Why not? Um, the other part could be that, you know, what kind of a, a benchmark will the FDA want to see? Will they want to see that it's safe? Okay, so far it looks like it's safe, that's great. Uh, will they you know when they looked at uh, approving exondus 51 they basically said well there's some improvement even though it's very small in disturbin production will they also say only need to have a small amount of improvement in microdisturbin production maybe maybe not there could also be some issues Tied to antibodies because of the the viral vector that's used, that, so that we'll have to keep an eye on that. And at this point, it doesn't look like you can have multiple doses of this. So you know, your question is going to be: okay, after one dose, does does you do you get the durability of effect out six months, twelve months, eighteen months? What ends up happening? Still, that being said, this is pretty remarkable um advance and it certainly points us points you in the direction of thinking that other things that Serept is working on, including things like CRISPR Cas9, gene editing type things, um could you know really reshape outcomes for these patients within the next five to ten years.
0: Yep. And it's important to note too the historical context surrounding Exondas fifty one. There was quite a controversy about this drug getting approved. The expert panel that makes recommendations to the FDA recommended that the drug not be approved. And yet there was one champion at the FDA that said, I really do want to approve this drug. And it was basically her pushing. Her name was Janet Woodcock. It was her championing this drug that ended up getting the drug approved. And meanwhile, it wasn't approved in the EU. It's only approved in the US. Um, And it's ramped up pretty quickly. Sales in 2017 were 155 million, which isn't really a ton. But when you look at Q1 of 2018, sales were up 300% year over year. So the drug is out there and it's it's starting to gain market share. And I think many people would probably look at that and assume that Sarepta has a fairly low bar to clear when it comes to proving the efficacy of these drugs. And again, that relates to just how devastating this disease is. If you look at the story of Exondas 51's approval, a lot of it had to do with the patient population and the families of the people with the disease really rallied around uh, somewhat anecdotal evidence that the drug was changing their lives. And so this could be something that you see play out again. And I'll I'll definitely be interested to watch it. And in the meantime, I have to imagine that the stock's going to continue to be incredibly volatile. As Fool.com writer Brian O'Reilly put it in his article on PTC Therapeutics pop and subsequent drop on Monday and Tuesday of this week. Welcome to biotech investing. Buckle up. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Absolutely. pops. Animal spirits are back. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, too, Sarepta, um, Sarepta, investors should bear this in mind, is I think the market cap is like $10 billion now, which is pretty crazy. I mean, it's 65 times trailing 12-month sales. I mean, you're really banking on um, these next-generation DMD therapies uh, succeeding, getting approved, and not only that, but also racking up billions of dollars in sales. Um a lot of things can and often do go wrong in biotech investing, uh, so just, you know, make sure that if this is something that's interesting to you, just like anything else that we talk about on the show, diversify, 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 make sure it's part of a diversified portfolio. That way, if something does go wrong, um, you're you're not left um, with one stock that, that declines significantly in your portfolio.
0: Yes, great advice. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Harjes. Thanks for listening and Fool on.
2: These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Sineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Sineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com slash podcast.